Back again. Back um, again with Brent Crude. Our guest this week, Brent Crude. <laughs> Is that the Bloomberg oil oh correspondent? Exactly. No, I was thinking it was sort of like a um, Carmen Sandiego villain. Oh That's totally one of the themes, Brent Crude. What's up, gang? How is everyone? Did anyone buy any oil this week? Yo, I was con- seriously considering it. <laughs> a Texan came to my door and was literally trying to give me a barrel of oil. And I told him a no. Yeah, there's no there's no more storage capacity left, so uh, oil will now be stored in all the empty luxury apartments in Manhattan instead <laughs> yeah. of storing instead of like giving it to homeless people. Actually, it'd be really great to use all those uh, condos that are that are unoccupied as ICU rooms. <laughs> yeah, they'd be almost as big as the ones in the like new luxury NYU building. <laughs> this, have you guys ever read? There's this um, Lovecraftian uh, horror writer named Fritz Lieber uh, who no. wrote this. It's really really good story called The Black Gondolier, which is about this guy who has these visions uh, in like Ven- around like Venice Beach in LA of like that oil was sort of like there waiting for waiting for mankind and it, there's just sentient oil. It's great. It's really Whoa. awesome. <laughs> that sounds like death stranding. Yeah. I mean, sentient oil seems like, um, something that in my mind I would never, X-Files. I would, well, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at oh, all true. if like we found one somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but... found one sentient oil. What is one oil? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's either, it's either, Welcome what if, the death what panel if, where we ask the big philosophical what questions. if, what yes. if, sen- what if sentient oil also organized itself by the barrel? Hey, I mean, that's it, the constituent group in the oil democracy. I think yeah. the interesting, the interesting tidbit I did learn through this is like just how fucking much money goes into subsidizing u.s oil production yeah totally wow well it was that big issue in 08 right it was like how do we get off of foreign oil and then everybody just stopped talking about it and that wasn't that just because every they just they were like the democrats and the republicans just agreed to subsidize fracking and to like fuck all the people whose water got fucked up and then like not talk about it anymore that well yeah they just um they just took money and they threw it at domestic oil production, uh, <laughs> regardless of whether or not that was like actually going to return much. And it's kind of insane if you look at what the U.S. produces and how much it costs to produce oil here. Versus- well, yeah, because we we put money, we put hundred dollar bills into a hose and we, you know, shot it at very high pressure at. Uh, loose shale and then oil came out and then we pick up the little the few scraps that are (laughs) that are left from from the edges from the periphery of that that fell off Um, and then we gave that to hospitals instead Um, (laughs) Um, yikes i would just say that it's you could joke all you want but it's actually insane that sometimes these wells last like these shale wells last less than a year or four years and it can cost like up to one million dollars to dig the hole yeah like yeah you can make jokes all you want about like it being ridiculous but the actual truth is fucking insane and hilarious how much we fucking subsidize yeah. the 
most expensive, like damaging, ridiculous way to get this stuff possible, all in the name of what, like imperial hegemony? That's no, extreme death drive shit. And oh then, yeah, of course, yeah, it's absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah, which is why I wouldn't be surprised if there was a sentient oil somewhere. <laughs> ordering us pretty sure that's exxon mobile i think we need but the thing is i think we need the image i think we need the image of sentient oil because it's hard to see the contradictions <laughs> of capitalism when they're out on like the oil frontier yeah. and uh they're not like right in front of you so yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we can get some oil rights groups um with that <laughs> welcome to the death panel with that the unusable warm-up no no <laughs> i'm kidding welcome to the death panel the official podcast of Lockheed martin's union activities tracker division <laughs> we're not one. so yeah we're not supported by Lockheed martin so you should support the show at patreon.com slash death panel pod yep. how about that yeah mm-hmm. so many benefits yes yeah a bonus episode every week you get access to a secret channel in the discord just for patrons it's very exclusive that's true um, it is true. Yeah. I can't, I also, I can't believe that that's a real thing too, basically. Or yeah. I don't know whether that, that's an actual division, but the fact that like Lockheed Barton got hired for like Walmart union busting years ago. Just, yeah. um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that they do it, but it just really means that like, that literally Lockheed Martin's sort of like industry is not actually like like weapons or aerospace production. It's just bad things. It's well, that's just, why that's why they rebranded all security, right? Because right, security right. also covers union busting. Right. I think. Yeah. Anything that you can use Pinkertons. to secure capital. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, union busting is the, the number way. one, or it's like, what is that? The five levels of terror threat. It goes like number one is the, is the worst, right? Because it's like ascending. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, so union busting is right up there on that like activities list when you get to terror threat level one. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> prime, prime, important. This is about protecting profits, right? The most essential of essential workers. These yeah. damn, yeah. These damn stupid people think they have rights, and they don't realize. Anyways. Yeah. So we're talking, of course, about the report that dropped in Business Insider this week that was widely shared about how Amazon is basically using some of its, uh, you know, internal logistics development to figure out where where the uh, hotspots of union activity are and to crush them. As a a former team member of Whole Foods, uh, pre Amazon, mm-hmm. this 100% tracks to me in terms of being a significant priority for sort of the the way in which Whole Foods was meant to exist within Amazon, if that makes sense. So, you know, when I when I worked there years ago, they were doing profit sharing. It was all you know every every like person in the store after you've like vested or whatever you were able to like take home a percentage of your profits and they made sure to train everyone about how good Whole Foods was to you, right? And that's why you didn't need to unionize. So I'm not at all surprised that now that Amazon owns Whole Foods, that sort of insidious culture of extreme union busting that was sort of present from day one of working there you know what I mean, has uh, gone from like a sort of covert thing to just like overt heavy surveillance tracking and like weird, uh, almost like phrenology about what types of people combined together tend to lead more towards 
unionization I mean, within a store. Almost literally phrenology. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. They were trying to control unionization before through like generosity. And then they switched to austerity when Amazon bought them. And now they're just like full on into like complete like you're a worker drone. You come in. We take things so, from you. And this is great. They're using like um, they're calculating a risk score for every store. So when right. this, this sort of thing comes up, I always like to imagine like what is be what was the what do you think the risk score would have been for your store that used to work <laughs> so here's here the, the criteria or what there's um employee loyalty uh turnover right. uh racial diversity extremely uh, fucked up that one um, yeah i mean yeah. actually this this is a that's a that's a nascent civil rights case like right there oh, yeah. um right, proximity yeah. to a union office and then violations recorded by osha um <laughs> So I yeah. assume that if you're more racially diverse, what does that imply about, you know, are you going to be more at risk for a union? Is that the idea? I according to the opposite, according to them. Yeah. 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 So I, I think I get kind of where this comes from, just like corporate culture wise. Um, you know, obviously, like there were a lot of things that they were pushing in the days when I worked there, when you were still sort of playing the game of like a, a, a worker here at Whole Foods is participating in ethical capitalism in some capacity. Right. Like mm -hmm. these products are expensive, but our workers take home part of the pay. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but and they would always say, like, you know, one of our priorities is a diverse workplace and making sure that like there is diversity across departments, but that also departments have like diverse unity or something. Mm -hmm. And then actually in the breakdown of the store, um, each department only was profit sharing from their own profits. So people who are like grocery pickers or people stocking vegetables, right, mm -hmm. are not going to be getting the same amount of money that someone working in the supplement department is going to be bringing right or the craft beer or prepared foods you know it's the little things that uh promote the uh cessation of solidarity right yeah. and then you start to notice that like yeah the workforce in general is quite diverse in the store however it is completely segregated by department yeah and that correlates usually in some capacity to like take-home pay through profit sharing and mm -hmm. so there was this kind of like weird thing where they were like so Benetton, but at the same time, so clearly like acting as if you could just like separate people because people don't talk to each other across racial lines. Like it was their sort of idea like, oh, as long as like the store is diverse, you know, we can just like continue to hire white people and put them front facing. Mm -hmm. Right. right? Jeez. And, and so it makes a lot of sense to me that that corporate culture, the sort of Benettonization of like health food, right? Mm. And and the the translate like Whole Foods very responsible for the translation of like health food into a luxury product as well. Mm -hmm. And they're very proud of how they basically bought all these like struggling mom and pop businesses and like subsumed the owners into like long term employees of Whole Foods. Right. And we're su like supporting this with our, you know, intense logistics system. And it was all about like, if you got a job at Whole Foods, you could work at Whole Foods for the next 30 years. So they were trying to like engineer the conditions, which now they're just trying to track, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it says a lot too um, that well, one that you know, again, a company like Whole Foods or Amazon would 
shovel more money into something like this rather than just helping people saying like, okay <laughs> right. well, we can, well or like you know increasing wages or something yeah. it's it's almost as though if you just allow uh union activity to pop up where like where where people decide to organize that uh you know if you don't then you don't have to necessarily if you haven't spent all that money already mm-hmm. using <laughs> like making sure that uh, people aren't unionizing that like you could i don't know acquiesce to some of their demands much more easily right. without spending the millions of dollars. Yeah, but, and yeah, exactly. Well, but also like the fact that um, some of their risk factors on here, like obviously, obviously the, uh, the racial component is the, the clearest uh, demonstration of how like obviously craven this probably is. Right. Um, right. But, or not probably is the, how is. obviously craven this is. Yeah. But on top of the, the fact that it's like other, other factors are like, uh, how many OSHA violations are registered or OSHA um, like complaints are lodged? How many Which we all tip know line that there's already going to be suppression are given like, to HR? Yeah. yeah, like essentially, like how how exploited the like one of the measures on here is practically like how exploited the workers at the at the store already right. are. How, how much are we fucking them over? I guess that's an indicator. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so instead of doing anything to fix it or mitigate that, they're just trying to track it. And fire people instead and it makes Mm -hmm. so much sense to me to hear especially the sort of racial attitudes that were revealed in this business insider piece considering the comments that were leaked from the amazon facility in staten island about the organizers there i don't remember the direct quote but it was something like oh it's great to like let's make this guy uh, i can't remember his name who who organized the walkout let's make him the face of the movement because smalls smalls yeah, yeah he doesn't appear to be he doesn't come off as like intelligent or well-spoken particularly i believe they were saying that he doesn't come off as articulate right which um, is su- which not is... even a dog whistle it's just like a big <laughs> yeah, red for sale sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like uh one of those uh what are they the fucking men outside of uh used car dealerships that are made out of cloth oh my god the, uh, the inflatable, inflatable dancing man. inflatable <laughs> yes. tube man yeah totally yeah i'm not hey, sure it I'm... is a big old racist inflatable dancing tube <laughs> <Yes>. man <laughs> and i'm sorry that i described it that way that wasn't exactly helpful no that's pretty appropriate the image you know those men who stand outside of places <laughs> the image is striking nonetheless it's i mean it also just throws you know like a lot of these like corporate diversity measures that are already very suspect and kind of craven in and of themselves into a very sharp relief. Right. When you think about basically the fact that like, it's pretty clear that, you know, the motivation behind basically all of them is from, from the company's point of view, it is essentially that their assumption is that, you know, the more different ethnicities you have in your workforce, like competing against each other, seemingly, or pitted against each right. other, the easier it is for you to atomize and divide people. Like that well, idea of diversity thing. is terrifying. <laughs> here's the here's the other thing, though. The dynamics of this kinds of staffing and the way that it correlated to take home pay mm-hmm. at Whole Foods was not just sort of fucked up but literally designed to breed snitches right Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. they they you know if you wanted to be able to get the type of take-home pay that a white employee on the floor would be able to get you would have to work your way out of whatever department you were hired into right and a lot of times like people of color were hired to like 
stocking, back of house, janitorial. And it's not just people of color, but it was like, you know, anyone that was like non-normative in any capacity. Certainly. Like, yeah, like the trans people that I worked with were all back of house. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't put like a trans cashier out when I worked there. Mm -hmm. Like it was it was like a huge deal when someone started transitioning and they were like trying to decide what they were going to do because they were in like a front facing position already. It was fucked up. And what it did was it basically like incentivized people to rat out their coworkers within their department in order for a ticket out of their department into one that had better gain sharing. And that is fucking bullshit. I mean, when I was talking to Glamazon prime and Matt from whole worker like months ago, Glam was telling me that Glam was like working back of house and janitorial for years right? and had taken a bargain. And they basically said, if you want to work front of house, if you want to get, you know, out of janitorial and out of night shifts and be a barista, you'll have to go off of full time and onto part time. And they right. use that as a way to kick Glam off of her health insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well. And that was the context that I was talking to them when they were like doing union busting and Matt had gotten fired for trying to organize his store in Long Island. Like it's fucked up Mm -hmm. and it's designed specifically to breed scabs and snitches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, shout out to, uh, to our friends at Whole Whole Worker. Yes. Um, and Whole Worker WFM on Twitter, support them and signal boost them, please. They, they need a lot of help. Uh, but also into their, uh, planned action for May 1st, they're going to strike. They and I think workers from Target. Target, Target has just, uh, agreed to, uh, in solidarity with them also go on a, their sick out. This is going to be the second sick out that Whole Worker's organized as well. I, I I saw some of these planned sick outs and strikes reported in the business press as workers. It actually wasn't the business press. I think it was like the sort of more standard like USA Today type thing was reported as like workers plan on taking a day off. (laughs) Oh my God. That's actually, well, it's, it's funny because, uh, what is the, um, shit? What, cause, uh, what was it? Uh, yesterday, I think AOC had like a, there was a news hit around AOC saying something like workers should like consider like, uh, like withholding their labor or something like she, she very explicitly like did not use the words like strike Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I don't know. It's just it's interesting how the the lengths that people, including some of you know, are the the more left aligned mm-hmm. um, politicians, like the lengths that they go to to avoid some of the some of the, like the mass movement language. Um, though obviously, the talking about AOC versus the vi- business press is very different, especially considering the like I don't know that that like tizzy that happened uh, over this week <laughs> over that absolutely awful NPR report. Oh that my was god. Like, my yeah. my uh, my employees hate me because I took uh, small business loan money that's going to be forgiven. Like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, anyway. this yeah, and this is sort of like in a line of among the areas where NPR is like worst as an outlet, labor <laughs> and uh, just sort of like you know austerity generally. I hear more about the deficit and like the ten on NPR. Yeah. Um, and somebody was saying that the the new, you know, w- this is sort of this is a long held sort of thing. This is just sort of emergent in their sort of genre of reporting that goes on there. Um, but also, I think they have a new president uh, who is coming over from Voice of America. Yeah, uh, I heard about so, that. So <laughs> you know. Ah. 
you're gonna you're gonna love to see more of this in the future. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Makes sense. it's pretty gross. I I don't know if you guys also saw uh, there was a there's a story today um, on the front page of the New York Times that's like a sort of like a data story where essentially they're showing um, like what the six hundred dollar boost in unemployment does um, to essentially compares to what people's wages were prior to to filing right. for unemployment, like state by state, and I think it's kind of an interesting um like just the just the tone and the fact of this article um is like incredibly you know telling as to i think like what we're going to start to see pretty soon especially from mainstream kind of outlets oh, I, mean, um, I think what we're actively seeing i mean there have been a bunch of stories that are like the extra six hundred dollars that uh that certain uh people are getting in unemployment is leading to people like living high on the hog the the like the npr story that i mentioned mm-hmm. was like also the 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 boss that they talked to in the in the interview for that was saying something to the effect of like they can make more money like at home getting the extra six hundred dollars or whatever yeah um, in a lot of is, states you can which is yeah also that's I think unfortunate it's in, in but Michigan, the, the framing is the is right. the right. is the issue right. and, and I think I just think that to like actually um, Libby Watson wrote a really great piece mm-hmm. about this where essentially the the takeaway which I think is absolutely correct is it, it just really lays bare the absolute dissociation. Um, of the majority of the of people in the media from like actual elements of like the working class. Abs- you know? No, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's, that's also like the point I was, I'm making, you know, with this like, you know, like data story, right? Like seemingly it's, it's supposed to be like even handed and showing some empirical fact. Right. But really, you know, what it does is just like essentially argues. Yeah. That like, yeah. That- when people ask the cold Springs Institute, if they thought their data, <laughs> was, um, <laughs> You know, uh, what we're saying, n- not full of fucking bias, yeah. they would have said yes too. Right. Yeah. No, but, I'm not the, and yeah. so would yeah. Nate fucking Silver. Well, I mean, right. Amazon but and but uh, cl- Cold Springs. What's also really. Uh, what's also really kind of amusing too is that even even within this data they show you know all these states where it's like oh you're making 120 percent of what you actually would be making in wages right which like is a completely misleading figure but it should be noted that all of the states where you actually still even adding six hundred dollars to your to your unemployment benefits uh that you aren't able to uh that you aren't able to recoup 100% are New Jersey, Colorado, like among them are New Jersey, Colorado, Washington, California, Massachusetts, uh, New York, D.C., and New Hampshire, and Illinois. Well, it's it's about as useful as saying the price of oil is at 120% of what it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think right. also the framing that somewhat like that, that we've seen so constantly, it's not just this one NPR piece, but I think I've seen four or five different ones, a lot of them out of like local media too. Um, where you have X, Y, Z female or other marginalized business owner mm-hmm. being interviewed saying, well, I did the right thing and I applied for the small business grant and I did all this and I did all that. And then my employees were ungrateful because they were like, right. I was making not enough money. You know, I was making whatever before, but but like I can make more on uh you know, unemployment. So why did you do this? Right. And what every single fucking story has had in common is that a lot of these people owned businesses staffed by tipped workers. Exactly. Right. right. Coffee shops, nail salons, hair salons. Like, yeah, 
because what is your salary? What are you paying them? Restaurants, right? right. <laughs> you can pay someone in a restaurant less than minimum wage legally because you're assuming that they're getting tipped even if they're a goddamn kitchen staff and tips aren't shared. Even if you're a hostess in the restaurant and you don't get tips, you can still be paid less than like $7 an hour just because you work in the context of a restaurant and a tip is possible. Right, and and also to think about the fact that like, you know, okay, we're sort of like, there's all of this like open up the economy rhetoric. Like, you know, say you're like an essential worker working in a restaurant that's just doing takeout or something like that. And you're working for less than minimum wage and and all of the tipped income that you rely on, right, is completely gone because, you know, your business barely, the, the business barely has any customers and none of them are tipping you anyway because they're all doing takeout or something like that. It's like, like, are you kidding me? Of course, someone would want to 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 be on like unemployment and safe at home rather than risking, uh, you know, their health and their the health of their family for like the you know marginal profits of their employer like are you <laughs> like what right and they should be and yeah. that makes sense i mean I, the other right. thing is i you know uh, whatever a strikingly large chunk of this is can just be sort of explained by whatever professional managerial class ideology but i do think but playing <laughs> into that okay uh playing into that you know, these, what, what motivates these, these, uh, reporters and these sort of like, um, interpreters of capitalism, um, it may be, <laughs> maybe some Mediums. minor sense of shame for being dumber than they pretend to be. Um, and so I, I kept thinking like, what if we had like the death panel quiz on how unemployment actually works or like the death panel quiz <laughs> on what it's like to be a tipped employee or you know the rules that apply to you if you are a 1099 worker like like until the, you're a, until you can pass our quiz you're not allowed to write about labor yeah absolutely issues or we can do it we can do it so because the name of the podcast is the death panel it could be sort of like a um like a 1950s quiz show i was sort of thinking of the movie quiz show um, you know, just like Artie, ha Artie is sort of the gregarious, you know, very, um, uh, polished, uh, show host. And then he, he locks people in the two sort of like hermetically sealed soundproof rooms. And then he just doesn't let them out ever <laughs> <laughs> moving on. And then you I'll just leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd do it. I mean, there are professional <laughs> certifications for selling bonds and stocks and being able to advise people on money. So I feel like you should have to take a test and get certified to comment on capitalism right. in this way. Exactly. And if you I'm had serious. that, then we wouldn't have Maddie, Ezra, and fucking Nate. Right. Well, so wait, here's here's my idea. So you know how we always talk about um like wanting to start a think tank? Mm -hmm. What if we are a think tank? I know. I mean, yeah, we obviously are a big Giant you gotta fake it till you guns make on it. the front. Anyway, um, but no, we in like in addition to our think tank, what if we create an independent standards body, um, where we accredit people, um, uh, to be able to speak on capitalism? So we just make ourselves the authority. Yeah, the the, the death sure. panel, uh, Better Business Bureau seal of approval. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, are you DPP certified? Yeah, exactly. No, sorry. If you if you don't if you don't just send you we can't publish this until you send me your your proof of certification. <laughs> right, sorry. right. You know what I mean? Hey, if if I uh you know if I were to pretend that I was still certified in like lifeguarding and then uh 
try and save someone, I would be legally responsible for any mistakes that I made or even just initiating the act at all. So I feel like we should be able to decertify people from talking about capitalism when they make, you know, but like when, when any other profession makes like a fatal error, right. They are like censured or they are reprimanded in some way. And in, in, in commentary, like, no, no. Well, I mean, I think actually this is the, this is the function of the, uh, of like interest group letter grades. Um, you know, most, most, I think famously understood through, um, things like the, the NRAs letter grades or things like that, but also like, you know, sunrise movement, like actually, you know, thinking back to even how, I mean, speaking of, speaking of Matt, Matt Iglesias, um, remembering how he and a bunch of others, uh, when it became clear, like in the week that it became clear or when, when in the week when, uh, Bernie dropped out, um, I remember, a bunch of them and a bunch of these sort of, uh, you know, managerial class pundits basically saying like, well, the sunrise movement's going to look pretty stupid now for giving Joe Biden that F letter grade. <laughs> Must They should have thought about that a lot longer or something, you know, but it is kind of the same idea, right? The principle of like you just it's yeah, no, exactly. I think, uh, but I think this well, is like a I, new line that we need to explore. I, I texted you guys about this this morning. Cause I was just like, truly just shocked, miserable, horrified, sobbing when i saw um not only is the pinocchio scale getting a book it's getting a series of books God. <laughs> so great holiday the, stocking stuffer for the holidays yeah, they're totally the going collection. to happen Kessler, new york times best-selling author <laughs> yeah it's uh it's uh washington post fact checker staff mm-hmm. will be out june 2nd with a paperback collection <laughs> multiple books multiple books um so if they have like a a book like we can just start issuing letter grades i think right yeah sure absolutely seems legit um moving on should we (laughs) this like this dovetails nicely with with kind of our next topic which is a a massive deregulation push Mm -hmm. from the federal government yeah um the only appropriate response to the coronavirus (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, you know, if you don't want to be held responsible for a poor reaction or response to COVID, just dismantle every institution and then you won't be. You know what's causing respond. community spread is excessive regulation. <laughs> I mean, we joke, but that's basically the argument. Yeah, yeah. literally. Yeah. We, we should be careful about what we say out loud because sometimes we like make jokes and then they they happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's not. Um, not ideal. So yeah, the Trump administration has a fantastic recovery plan um, <laughs> involving massive deregulation. Some of some of the points of which we actually like have covered previously that were being proposed for other non-COVID related reasons, but have been rebranded for the context of COVID, which mm-hmm. is um, going to be something that I think listeners you will get sick of hearing us say. Um, because we've been saying it for weeks and it will continue to happen. Clearly. Also, though, many of them were, were very swiftly carbon copied from this uh, Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. report that came out on Monday. Because we've talked about a couple of the, like we've talked about a couple of other uh, like coronavirus uh, recovery plan roadmap. right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> things. Um, and the Heritage Foundation even like released, had released uh, one 
like a, a different one a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, that, that had fa- formed some of the basis of some of the stuff that we talked about on, on a previous one about reopening the economy or oh, how the, the economy AEI is still too, open. Yeah, because yeah, uh, like we had talked about the AEI one, but like a lot of the stuff that was happening policy wise had also been borrowed from other Heritage Foundation stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But this one is pretty striking because some of the most some of the specific sort of proclamations here as to what the federal government should do and the lines that they have adopted in subsequent days again very quickly are literally like things like uh what what is being explored in the trump administration actively right now which is essentially suspending regulation on all small businesses well it's actually really funny when i when i saw this first um the way that so like these other reports are just like you know the one-off like the AI report on coronavirus recovery you know the the right. the center for american progress report on this whatever um heritage you can always tell that they're um they they sort of get the the way that you don't have to they they understand that there are no rules, whereas these other yeah, people pretend that right. there are. And I just like, you know, it's king shit um, to see how they do it. Uh, There's something comforting. Well, in that. Yeah. I mean, so so they just call themselves. <laughs> this is the best. When I first looked at it, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that this uh, commission had been appointed. I was looking through the executive orders and I was like, no, I, oh, wait a minute. They're just calling themselves the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. Hell yeah. And I was like, <laughs> that's how we, you do it. We should easily we should easily just create a Squarespace site that's like the National Recovery Commission on coronavirus. And Hell just yeah. like create a mirror site. Um, um, that's, uh, that's, let me go to Google Domains right okay. now. Yeah, do it. Because that's, that's exactly in line also, with my plan, which uh, I have actually I, I brought up a couple weeks ago and I completely forgot to follow through with, but must now do, which is to create, um, you know how we've we've joked about the insurance uh, industry group, the Partnership for America's yes. Healthcare Future, yeah. <laughs> the absolute necessity to create a Partnership for America's Future Healthcare. Yes, yes. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is mm-hmm. which would be a pro Medicare for all group. I think that's perfect. Um, that might be actually the what we should call. Yeah, I'm going to make sure that we have that Twitter account before uh, this goes live. Before yeah. this episode is up. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, it's just funny. Also, like the the difference, the the difference between like. The only difference really between other than being craven ghouls between us and heritage is like the follow through of actually acquiring the domain. <laughs> like you mean the uh, per, I think I think you the mean he- the one heritage that I already... would call that manpower. Yeah, I, guess I just said, sure. yeah, <laughs> but but I, I, I think we should buy the one that's partnership for America's future healthcare dot healthcare even dot healthcare. Yeah, there's, there's a, a dot partnership healthcare? for America's future dot healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's, let's anyway, sorry. But this so Phil. this commission is like this commission is like classic heritage stuff. First of all, you pretend to be the state. Um, you just you just <laughs> right. take the the like the Tim Mitchell point that like the boundary between state and society is a fiction, and you're like, yep, we all clearly read Tim Mitchell, and um, <laughs> you know, uh, and then you appoint the people that you appoint. You appoint the former president of Cato Institute. You appoint uh, George Allen uh, of Macaca fame. Um, you appoint. Wait, wait, what is that? Uh, you remember <laughs> he, he? This is a guy who was a former senator, uh, and you know. Amazingly, this was like 2008 or nine. He used this like racist term to refer to somebody. He called them like a macaca. Um, And uh, that was like the end of his senatorial career, which is, yeah, I feel like uh, 
he sort of wouldn't have ended. Yeah, today. I was going to say he was a yeah, few years before the uh, even more overt uh, nativism and racism. Um, right. <laughs> then you have the the former president of the Heritage Foundation. I mean, this is this is a truly uh, all star uh, cast. Um, and then rather than like even pretending again, here was the strategy of AEI and Cap, and this just shows you how just uh, they are, you know they're still premising it on the idea that, like we got all of these experts we got all these experts who actually know stuff about epidemiology we brought them together they studied things there's a bunch of citations right they're like they're that whole like sort of imagery and then they like we release these very sort of very scientific looking careful calculated sort of things the heritage report is just like you know what here's 47 fucking recommendations you know just uh, we don't need a, a bunch of tests before we open the economy. Right. Why? You know, I, no, just why, why are you asking why? Don't I ask why. It, We're just doing it. It feels, it feels also like heritage just like definitely like has, you know, like a, like a listserv of ghouls who, you know, might want to be on various imaginary panels that they like invent. Right. And they just kind of are like, Hey, do you have a policy priority that you would like, uh, uh, enacted in like something do you want to be on this panel and they're like oh yeah here here's all that language that like you know about this completely like unconnected thing that i that i need to ram down into this just like oh you just i mean this is just the um uh this is borrowing from the first thing that heritage ever really did to put it on the map there's a book that they released it was like a thousand pages long called mandate for leadership uh which oh immediately when the uh reagan administration came in it was just a bunch of like do this, do that. It was just sort of like a, um, uh, like one, a bunch of one pagers. Um, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what this, I don't even, this is not even one pagers. These are like one sentencers. It's like, if you boil down every one pager to one sentence, probably because you didn't even need to write something or think it out. It's just like you interview, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, CEOs of a bunch of firms. It's like, what, what exactly would you like right now so that we can use this crisis so that you can irrigate even more wealth to yourself? <laughs> right. Okay, good. We're just going to put that in there. Uh, Susie, why don't you just take down whatever the CEO says. You just write down what he says. Make it sound pretty. We're going to put a PDF together today. <laughs> Do you think, I kind of assume that these, Absolutely. I kind of assume that these guys just have like hotkeys for, for like what particular kinds of deregulation they want. So they get that. Form. Of course, the. Of course, the CSGO players like they need key binds. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how are you going to how are you going to deregulate at uh, at a higher FPS? Just saying God. <laughs> like God. they probably just like, you know, like alt something yeah. and then fucking it's just it's just the particular kind of deregulation that going to no scope that payroll. tax. <laughs> I just don't understand how the CEO of Green Mountain Coffee um, is in all in any way qualified to comment on coronavirus like the people that are putting together these recommendations or the people that like even Azar are appointing to do these recommendations one of the people that Azar appointed has been breeding labradoodles for the past six years and he's now in charge of that was their previous job yeah yeah wait yeah <laughs> and like a lot of the people on the commission who made these recommendations are like ceo of green mountain coffee like ceo of uh something also not at all related to healthcare. Well, it's like i feel i feel like actually that makes the the strategy that we were talking about with heritage make a lot of uh sense and i feel mm-hmm. like to a certain extent probably the left could copy a lot of this which is just that you know you give this sort of overly prescriptive um 
like title to the thing that makes it sound like it's already sort of an official government function. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of even like it's the classic playbook of like the uh, you know calling calling the uh, the business community the quote chamber of commerce, right? You yes. know? So the people literally think that it is an arm of government. Um, and now it's just I feel like now it's just that okay, so all those people who their day job is their or you know, their their uh pursuits were to be like members of those like chamber of commerce or whatever right. are the people who have like been put they've they've failed up so well that they are now right. uh, you know. Put right. In those and I think positions. you hire as many former uh representatives as possible. I think it's also worth pointing out there's a single one single MD on this panel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um guess who it is? Dr. Oz. Remember Bill Frist? <laughs> uh, Former sorry. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's the single MD they have making these recommendations. Cool. I don't remember what his specialty was, but I don't think it really <sighs> matters. And, and there's some, like, I should also, to get into the meat of this, like, a little bit, um, because it's like, yes, I think we, we, we've made the point, right? This is, yeah. ju- this is like, it's, it's king shit because they realize that what really matters is not uh you know like they don't have epidemiologists that are going to support this right no one no one is going <laughs> right. to so like rather than that they're just like let's go after a a sort of a, i don't want to say a moral argument but a, a, a just a more nakedly sort of ideological argument that connects what what is going on with all deregulate what goes on with all deregulation which is you talk about the problems that businesses face in um, amassing profits. And then you use a sort of homology so that people identify with that because they have experienced some red tape at some point in their lives. They're like, oh, yeah, of course we need to do that because I've experienced that, too. Um, And so but so they're like classic, like rhetorical moves in this. The one that I think we're going to see that we've already seen, but like, I think it's, it's, um, it, it has a way of like cutting through, um, or, or could have a, a pretty potentially powerful way of cutting through, um, public health expertise is they're going to say, well, there's no single solution to this. What works in Ooh. Wyoming is not going to work. You know, what works in New York is not going to work in Wyoming. Right. And so it doesn't, so in a sense, what that's going to, what they're going to try to open up the room to say is that like, well, it doesn't matter what our public health officials in Wisconsin say, because what works because, because they are relying on the idea of enlightenment knowledge that like principles should be true in every country, state um, and city. But you know, but things are just so different. They're so particular here that the enlightenment (laughs) just sort of idea of scientific expertise doesn't apply because why? Because there's, you know, just local realities. And and what are those local realities? Uh, you know, some like right. um, the gravity. The gravity in Wisconsin is just a little bit different in New York. Goods stores are just different here, and they need to open well, here. I mean, <laughs> right. I'm I mean, sorry but- to circle back to this, but these people are all either real estate CEOs or work for fucking Christian ministries. Yeah. Who are making these? And it's Bill Frist. Right. <laughs> God. Are you talking about the people on the the Presidential Commission or the Heritage Commission? The Heritage Commission. Right. Yeah. De facto. Yeah. The well, Heritage de facto Commission is. President's commission. is is, right. is, yeah, exactly. is fucking but, chock full of people who work for uh, non-profit Christian organizations. Welcome to the Heritage Foundation. There's someone who's a CEO of something called Rex Property, which is uh, known for cool. its semiconductor business. Hmm. Hot. Hmm. And real estate well, management. Yeah. How are these people? It's a weird well, overlap. I mean, I think it's an, it's an interesting thing when like, so I mean, to uh, how, to, how to put it, to... Uh, 
the the text of this of this document of this report absolutely um backs up uh what phil was saying too about the sort of let it i mean it makes sense it's it's the the classic thing right kick it to states to also make it so that um it's easier to influence on the on the state and local level the like things that they want to push for like deregulation um but just to read a thing from this report really quick uh quote the commission recommends that governors should this is to to back up uh what is being said the commission uh the heritage commission uh recommends that governors Governors should take the lead on pro-business reforms to jumpstart the economy and encourage consumer confidence. This should include easing restrictions on home-based businesses, such as, and then they give examples, such as easing unnecessary regulations on child care providers. (laughs) I think to B's point, right, like how are these people qualified? Well, like obviously they aren't, right? Yeah. And I think that that's... And I think that that's the um, that's the thing that you miss. So I feel like one response to this that, um, you know, I mean, you know, the, the one response to these sorts of claims that governors will make is like, well, this is wrong because the epidemiology says it's wrong. It's not safe. Um, you know, these are these are uh, recommendations that are made that are in conflict with what we know about public health. But I feel like it is not enough to say that if you don't have an analysis of why these recommendations are being made, the purpose of them and their, you know, the, um, the locus, like what is, what is the point of doing this? And the point is so that profit can be extracted, that workers lives, which already mean nothing to employers. And like, that's something that, you know, as thoughtful a piece as you're going to hear on this, like on the news commentary, like you're not going to hear that, uh, Mm -hmm. typically, but like, I don't understand how you make sense of this without talking about how this reflects um, like the institutional materiality of capitalism, that like, this is where right. this is like what it looks like when you have a capitalist system and capitalists need the economy to reopen immediately. They don't care. Right. About, like it, of course you explicitly do not bring in epidemiologists. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. Phil, I think that's a great point. There was one specific recommendation in this report that really, I feel like encapsulates like the, like that and the reasons like why they're pushing these things and, and really how sick and disgusting it is. Um, it's one of their recommendations for, uh, I think it's for state governments in that section. Um, It says governors should also focus on the remaining populations unable to return to work, including individuals who do not feel comfortable returning to work, but otherwise can be offered an antibody and an antigen test and then offered the opportunity to return to work. So, I mean, in essence, like this, uh, these this one sentence is essentially saying governors need to focus on figuring out some sort of gatekeeping mechanism in order to like force people back to work who do not feel safe going back to work by creating whatever it is in order to reassure them that it is time for them to go or their employer may terminate them with cause for not going. So, so additionally, Artie, did you read the second half of the, the, the paragraph that you cited too? Yeah. It, It basically they're advocating to, uh, essentially gut minimum wage laws. Oh yeah. Yeah. And prohibitions on independent contracting work. Um, Mm -hmm. and to, uh, and to stop paying into union healthcare plans. Um, States would also allow employers uh, in union run pension plans to reduce or skip contributions. 
Like, right. wow. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, this is sort of the, I mean, you know, from a strategy perspective, it's certainly, it's certainly a strategy, right? I mean, just don't, <laughs> you, you don't have to, you, you don't have to like back anything up. You just start with the, you start presuming with the assumption that you are, you know, correct. You, you make your, uh, policy declarations and then you haven't bothered to make any substantive claims about you know safety or or viral spread so uh you you avoid being even like remotely called out on that yeah um, right. the point is if you if you don't want to talk about it don't or if it's bad for you to talk about it don't talk about it right, right. that's the thing that like i you know, again, this is a lesson that should be learned. If you, mm-hmm. you know, you frame the issue in the way that is advantageous to you, you have to think about this. This is not an act. Politics is not an academic exercise. It is not about writing yeah. the mm-hmm. uh, most sort of empirically defensible um, uh, report necessarily. It, it is about, you, you know, these the way that we talk about these things, they have implications in the world. And when, you know, and so a lot of people, the analysis, this is going to be, oh, this is, this is BS. This is like very uh, contrary to public, the, the needs of public health, but that's not the point. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, cause, but, but really what this is, is just, you know, a, a, like a carbon copy list of, of the heritage foundations, uh, like, you know, policy priorities, uh, pre COVID with the phrase because COVID-19 at the beginning of every paragraph. I mean, it's, it's that simple, right? I mean, and well, yeah, I mean, a lot of, uh, like disabled Twitter has been very glad that they've been mentioned in these reports and their mentions are that we need to in the heritage foundation report. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) They said, like, Jesus it's great Christ. to see that someone's addressing these issues and thinking of people with disabilities. And if you Wait actually you see how they're thinking, <laughs> right? Well, all that they're thinking about is that they wanted to make sure to state that it's morally not super great to be putting disabled people at the bottom of triage. And they recommend that that's something that we should, like, consider or reexamine. Or reconsider. And well, that's, not, well, not doing anything to address the substantive things that are making right, it right. so the so, triage right, is yeah, there's, <laughs> required. There's, there's literally uh, three mentions in the Heritage Report. All three of them are, Commission recommends re-examining the triage grid of health services. Yeah. The Commission recommends... Uh, a, a, you know, reprioritization of triage. I mean, meanwhile... Like, People with disabilities should be treated with dignity. Next, like, meanwhile, let's not pay hospitals. Meanwhile, hospitals that are uh, hemorrhaging money because they're mostly like because many of them are either prov- privately run or at least run as businesses, essentially, and missing money on elective services and, and other sort of like and regular, basically regular upkeep of things that like people are avoiding going to the doctor for mm-hmm. are, you know, uh, being offered like a government bailout package that what the the it like lasted like the money that was offered to them lasted a week right. or something before. Not and now the new costs. HHS uh, suggestion for uh, the amount of money that they're going to shovel it. They're going to put like $40 billion uh, towards hospitals uh, or something they announced yesterday. And that's just four times the amount of what lasted a week. So that's like what um, that's actually not even a month, frankly, because the, um, the same report that showed that that money uh, from the April 10th infusion or whatever was uh, that was gone in a week said that something over $300 billion would be needed to even get to half of what hospital expenses. (sighs) Meanwhile, they're trying to like 
you know, force uh, physicians and frontline workers to take pay cuts. Yeah. You right. know, like it, it's fuck, it's fucking annoying on my end. Like the the that the community that cheers when they're like just mentioned even are are cheering for a a study or a series of recommendations which mentions them, yes, and mentions that they're being treated unfairly as a group, and then you know, seeks to reinforce the structural reasons why they are as a group more vulnerable. <laughs> it's fucking maddening. I feel mm-hmm. crazy sometimes. I feel insane sometimes scrolling through disability Twitter because they're they're sharing stories about disabled grocery workers dying because of lack of PPE. And then they're sharing 20 minutes later the Heritage Foundation study and clapping <laughs> for having been mentioned. And I'm like, what is going on here? I Am I okay? Like, yeah. what the fuck is right? Am, get that am I the one that's possible pathway to get that disabled person back to work in a situation that is like not set up to protect them? Right, at all. Right. right. And you start to wonder, like, am I the one that's crazy? Well, and right, right. like, and it's also hard to not have whiplash, like when when you listen to like you know Heritage Foundation reports that are like recommending the bailout of the you know uh, private like healthcare system right when like you know in in any other time and place when like a business fails you know they're like well they just didn't have a very good business model and and that's how the hand of the market works and then like Uh, well uh, yeah exactly no it's it's especially annoying you know considering the dearth of misinformation and confusion already Mm -hmm. um but you know um, all the more reason to talk about the stuff that's correct, which actually might bring us to our next point, mm-hmm. yeah. which is a, I would guess if you have like phlebotomy related PTSD, uh, trigger warning, I don't know. Um, but there's some new info out about COVID and about the way it's kind of working in the body that I think is really interesting and, and picks it kind back of up. explains a lot about yeah. what we've been seeing. Yeah. Actually. It picks back up on a lot of the points that we discussed, like particularly in COVID year zero, when we were sort of breaking down and trying to debunk some of the misinformation that was going around and also sort of explain what ARDS is, why people are, you know, getting critically ill so suddenly and stuff like that. And, and there are some new studies that are coming out that are showing that there is some really unusual clotting activity happening in a large majority of COVID patients. Not quite a majority, but quite a lot. Quite a it's significant like, amount of patients are are, are displaying yeah. quite unusual clinical clotting factors and, and unusual things in their blood work. You know, with any immune response, like you're going to have the possibility of coagulation being affected because coagulation is caused by chemicals in your body. And so when your body is going into panic mode and sort of triaging what chemicals go where, um, you can end up essentially messing up the ability to clot or not, or increasing clotting factors just from like an immune response, which is like how a disease like mine works. Right Mm -hmm. now this is happening in COVID patients and in something like, Ebola, this happens too, but it tends towards bleeding. COVID patients... Like less... Right. Your body makes less clotting materials. Right. Your body uses up them, all of the clotting yeah. materials to fight the virus, and then you can't stop bleeding. It seems to be a little bit... Not a little bit. The it's opposite entirely reverse. the opposite yeah. with COVID is what it's seeming to be. And so they're having people that who, who, you know, maybe displaying signs of pneumonia 
right? And you would assume maybe they're dying of ARDS, and then it turns out they're full of clots. Or experiencing hypo- you would exper- assume that they'd be experiencing hypoxia, or maybe they would be, right? Mm-hmm. Where, they like, probably are, but right. for whatever reason, they're like still... Like people where their, their blood oxygen level is extremely low. And they're and, sitting up and talking. Yeah, but they're still talking. And they would normally be unconscious. Yeah. And and it's interesting. It's, it's um, very weird. It's very worrying for someone like me in particular because that doesn't bode well for someone with an autoimmune disease, but it does explain why people with like uh, asthma haven't been dying in the way that we expected them to, mm-hmm. um, or why men are more um, affected than women, it seems, by like the morbidity factor. Um, well, before wait, we, we have more that, blood you clots? should explain why. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, yeah, you're at, or men are at higher risk for hypertension and things uh, like that. Well, I was gonna say, and also the United States seems to be having a lot more mortalities than other countries, even Italy and China. And and what that actually kind of looks like on paper actually is that well, it makes a lot more sense now if clotting is a part of it because, as already was saying, m- both men and Americans have a higher propensity of having bleeding. Or cardiovascular problems like hypertension, right. well, uh, and high the, cholesterol. And the point that's very important to state because it, we haven't made it super explicit unless you know a lot about this, which blood clots, if you have a blood clot in your system, it is it can be very uh, dangerous because like parts of the clot or or uh, like the small clots, the whole clot um, can, you know, like break off and go into like other parts of it. it makes it makes it make a lot more sense why a lot of people are dying of not not just uh, acute respiratory distress, but like also of sudden cardiac, cardiac arrest, arrest um, particularly at home, like mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it, it would it would make sense if because the body is producing a lot more blood clots, it's causing a whole bunch of uh, huge problems like that, including and especially in people with a lot of uh, comorbidities. Right, right. I mean, it's like, as we've been saying from the very beginning, the unique cruelty of the American healthcare system um, is going to be a major factor in what makes this so deadly. And we already have a high instance of issues with bleeding and clotting in the United States. We already have a lot of a, a higher percentage of people who live with these chronic conditions uncontrolled in the United States, which to me is actually the most important thing, is that more than any other uh, Western country in the world, more people in the U.S. live with untreated chronic conditions than any other country. Hmm. And that is when you throw in like rapid unexplained clotting that's not really responding to anticoagulants even in some cases they're seeing that's not that's not giving the doctors very much to work with let's just say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and it does explain why we're hearing sort of these horror stories of people deteriorating like in mere minutes because as already was saying you know clots are Clots are dangerous when they're not moving, but as soon as they start moving is when you really have problems. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, uh, my dad, my dad had a stroke many years ago, so I do know a lot about um, how dangerous that can be. But it, it really can be like one moment to the next. So every time he's like dealt with another clot, it's been, you know, m- months of like, okay, we got to get rid of that blood clot before it starts moving. Mm-hmm. Because as long as you can try and get rid of it before it starts moving, you have a little bit of an edge. But if you've got tons of little clots everywhere, it's like incredibly difficult for providers to to make acute interventions quick enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
But all of this... Which is why it's very important to exercise at home as much as you can. Right <laughs> Lie on your back, stick your legs up in the air, and bicycle. <laughs> just sort of suggests that, like, at the level of the hospital, or the level of um, the, the, the clinic, the sort of the order of operations, given, given all of these uncertainties, given all of these unknowns, the order of operations has to be very fluid. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that, what does that require? It would seem to require a lot of just sort of organizational slack because you might have to change what you're doing in, in ways that are very like sensitive to these sort of emergent patterns and, uh, and, and the, the cases that are coming in. I mean, like, because this is not like a, these are not like a few random isolated cases, right? These are not like things that are way, way out in the tail right. of the statistical distribution. This is, these are patterns that actually characterize, you know, it's not, it's not uh, something like every case is unique, but it's, uh, there are broader patterns that are fitting within the larger statistical distribution of cases. Right. right? Most emergency yeah. rooms have a percentage or most most um, critical care facilities have a percentage of patients who are experiencing these symptoms right. and it's it's pretty consistent across demographics and location as well so um and a- like demographics including and age. age groups yeah, yeah one exactly. of the other things that i've seen a lot of and and gotten sent by a lot of um physicians who are listeners to the show and thank you all for sending that stuff i appreciate that you care about me just as much as your own immunosuppressed patients it's very sweet and i do appreciate it <laughs> yeah um, and a lot of them have been sending me articles about, uh, or studies that mention the fact that like one of the things they're starting to notice in older patients or immune compromised patients who like me, like don't often run fevers because of, um, autoimmune or like just immunological reasons that they're, they're showing like seniors are having sort of more like dementia symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then starting to show later symptoms of the disease. Which also makes sense with clotting. Right. Yeah. And we're sort of like, we're sort of looking at, I think what we really thought was a cut and dry, though incredibly aggressive and difficult to restrict the spread of upper respiratory viral disease. And I think what we know in practice is that COVID is yes, an upper respiratory virus that causes such an unusual and extreme immune reaction, mm-hmm. right? which is the deadly part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's not just not catching it, right? That's the problem. It's about how do we even manage people's bodies when their body is working against them mm-hmm. and they are full of a virus that's attacking them, mm-hmm. yeah. right? You've basically got a really, really deadly flu combined with my disease unchecked on steroids, mm-hmm. the opposite right. of my disease being on steroids. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's not, that's not great. And what we should be doing right now, as you were saying, Phil is be, is like, instead of like worrying about giving physicians liability on drug trials, you know, breaks from like liability on drug trials. Whereas New York state did giving, <laughs> uh, liability protections to, uh, nursing homes who basically now have no accountability. <laughs> over right. COVID deaths. Anyway, yeah. sorry, we should be ahead. giving like, we should be empowering physicians, giving ER directors autonomy, right? We should be giving clinicians autonomy and control over their treatment process. We should be giving like that needs to be a priority on top of providing them with protection. We need to also be empowering them to be making the decisions that they are qualified to make. Mm-hmm. And we're not right. Instead, we're just creating a massive state of exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And providers are exhausted and working their asses off and putting their lives on the line. And they need to be given the space to like have control over how they practice, not I mean, not to be like protected from indemnity later and being sued for malpractice like later by a family. Like that's not the priority right also, now. Also, frankly, I think that like the really, I mean, the the uh, the new this like kind of new information about how this disease can present um, in people again, as I mentioned before, like not only makes it a lot make a lot more sense, but also kind of makes it a lot more terrifying mm-hmm. right. um, to me because you you I think for a lot of people you may have thought like okay well. Even though they say that you know people can be can be appear relatively asymptomatic for a while and then or develop like light symptoms and then it can suddenly get really bad, um, it's sort of it uh, that that is almost like I mean to me that's almost like abstracted but no or and uh, I can sort of, I can begin to imagine um, that but then imagining like the way that the like blood blood clots and the way that they can like very again very quickly kill people mm-hmm. um is a like a particularly kind of terrifying threat it is yeah no 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 it is and uh, what i'm saying is that also like clots in general are particularly conceptually difficult for people especially in the context of western medicine right like think about just it's the- not as simple as like oh i'm becoming short of breath i know that i can't breathe i'm having a hard time breathing progressively having a hard time breathing mm-hmm. it's like there's something inside of me small arrest. that's yeah. moving around that's made out of my very tissue which again makes it make more sense why right. people are you know being found in their homes right mm-hmm. exactly and, and the, the thing that's really really i think the most important takeaway from this in my mind is that and this has been something that i've been talking about it for a long time is that we really need to reshape the way that we think about health, illness, and our bodies, and that this is actually not only a clinical issue, but an educational and cultural issue as well. Um, And that part of what I think needs to happen is people need to sort of like renegotiate their own understanding and relationship to what actually is going on inside of them. Because sometimes the people who are having a pretty easy time with COVID and then suddenly dying, um, like sometimes people are having a very easy time with COVID rather than suddenly dying out of nowhere mm-hmm. yeah. a week later. Um, it seems very surprising to most people, right? right? Like when you guys hear that, does that seem like unusual? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of, it's it's not the classic. It's not it's not what you are hearing in the sort of top line. I think there's this this unstated assumption that like for the most part, people see it coming. It's, it's awful, um, but it is... Um, it is sort of knowable um, in a way. And, right. And, it, right. and for a lot of people, like inevitable, because I think, I mean, I, you know, it, like especially in like the history of the queer community, right? Like if you think about mm-hmm. like people's experience with with the HIV uh, like epidemic, you know, it's like, you know, in the 1980s, it was it was there was like a pattern, right? That was, mm-hmm. you know, you like you prog- where where people progressively deteriorate and like that is like right. one understanding of illness and one understanding of disease that like i think we have haven't have a handle on but right it's sometimes yeah. applicable right. right right sometimes disease pro- disease processes are quite linear right. right right and that's true but sometimes they're not <laughs> take for example my case um i first got sick when i was young i was in high school 
And it took many years to realize I was sick. But like the first sort of weird thing that happened is I got mono and it was like so not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I had a sore throat and they tested me for mono anyways because I think that's what my pediatrician just did to high school students. Mm-hmm. And three days later, they were like, oh, you have mono. I was like, no, I don't. And they were like, no, 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 you have mono. And I'm like, I'm fine. Like I literally was fine. Mm-hmm. Six months later, I couldn't hear out of my left ear. What had happened was I did get mono and it was fine, but the cells that fought mono really well never died and continued to reproduce and fuck things up. So yeah. it's like, you know, the, the very smallest thing um, in, in your immune system can go wrong and it changes how everything else is regulated from right. clotting to breathing to cognitive process. Which is why immune suppressants are one of the treatments that B right. needs to be on for like right. ever. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So, so from my perspective, um, the fact that COVID is so deadly and is behaving like this and is so difficult to treat makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And no, oh, of course, I mean, it does make total sense. Right. It's just like you have more experience right, exactly. with it than others. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why for many years I've been like frustrated, like people don't seem to understand my experience. I feel so isolated and alienated because everyone's like, well, am I going to get what you have? Or like, are you going to die? And I'm like, what even is dying in this context? (laughs) Right? Like everyone's dying, man. I'm here trying to conceptualize (laughs) the fact that my body is eating its blood vessels. Yeah. And you're asking me if, if I'm going to (laughs) die, like what is dying in that context? Like, or am I like, you know what I mean? I I had a question for you guys actually though. Does hearing this information like freak you guys out to hear? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It does because I think that's a totally natural reaction. Though. No, no, yeah. no it, I'm assuming it does. It, but it also, yeah. it does, I guess it it freaks. Me, the reason it freaks me out is that, and again, I think it goes back to something we've talked about in in different ways uh, across the last maybe five or six um, episodes, which is that uh, there is this um, just sort of inability among people who are purveyors of of knowledge about this um uh, about this virus to uh sort of jump over the traditional sort of narratives about what uh a disease is um mm-hmm. and also um to like appreciate with like a level of complexity um what the response will require because i think there's just this sense of like and again you hear it over and over again every single day when i listen to the news is sort of when is this going to be over? When's the vaccine coming? You know, what, like right. just the three or four just sort of basic questions. And like, this is, it just illustrates that we, we have been thinking about this wrong. We are thinking about it wrong and right. uh, we're, we're not prepared for what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, um, I, it, this is kind of funny, but I um was shown like a, this very like strange quote on a hat um that was part of a rachel harrison piece um just go with me on this that uh the slope she's an artist who makes sculptures out of garbage if you don't know her work (laughs) she the the i'm a fan the slogan was um uh change before you have to um which is a jack welsh quote (laughs) What? Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 So keep going with me on this. Right. No, this is, that's a, actually a very good point. And, and in a way, Phil, you are right. And we're kind of not prepared. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to offer up a, 
an alternative way of thinking about that. It's not that we're not very prepared. It's actually, it's just that we're, we're caught in a loop of talking about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Right in the very beginning of this, we talked about like, oh, there's going to be doctors in the emergency room who have not done emergency care in a while. There's going to be people who are orthopedists doing pulmonology, right? Mm-hmm. When you say at the beginning, you mean like a couple weeks months, ago, like a month yeah, ago. Month, yeah, month, month and a half ago. And yeah, that is like a terrifying thought. It's a for, we know that this is like an immune response. Well, my crack team of doctors who all don't have pulmonology degrees are all working on COVID patients, mm-hmm. right? You've got an incredible amount of research that has gone into the immune system in the past 10 years. You have a lot of people who, because of no disease-specific funding that's really usable, have been doing it on their own in small teams, trying interesting things. There's a variety of different autoimmune diseases. We have a lot of options. We need to empower physicians to start thinking about this and stop letting other people lead with how we discuss treatment and and how this disease is conceptualized. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, in a way, yes, we have we're unprepared. However, I'd argue that we're actually incredibly prepared. It's just a matter of perspective, and and I think information control. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We have two competing narratives that are that are racing against each other. Meanwhile, like we've got this disease to deal with, right? You've got the narrative of like save people, and you've got the narrative of reopen the economy, right? And they're sort of negotiating this idea of what COVID is that like doesn't have a huge relationship to like what it is on the ground for people treating it you know Mm -hmm. or a lot of information that's just basically only now coming to light right exactly yeah so i think it's i think i think it it, it might be overwhelming but i think it's important to like be taking in and digesting this information and, and really thinking about like the way that our bodies work because the more that we understand the way that our bodies and our circulatory system and our immune system work as individuals Mm -hmm. the better we'll be able to be in protecting ourselves. So do you guys, uh, so not to be crass, um, but is, uh, is life alert, uh, a publicly traded company? <laughs> Cause if I, if I were life alert, Let's let me tell out. you what I would do. Go on. I would immediately start marketing to millennials, <laughs> right? Because this is a huge new, not to, again, not to be crass, but like, I mean, maybe this is how we get the funding for our, uh, for our think tank. Yes. It is. You can buy stock in Life Alert. Okay. So Life the Alert. The company is actually called Life, oh no, Lifeline, which is a type of Life Alert system, is a publicly traded company. Life Alert, the product, is a privately held company. Gotcha. Yeah. So you can invest in the off-brand competitor. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Or we could just buy Best Buy stock or something and try and support their initiative to what send Geek Squad people to oh, people's God. homes. Shut up! Or the that's uh, not real. <laughs> the uh, Comcast telehealth uh, plan, <sighs> which is I what believe was do? described legitimately as a uh, we will give you turn by turn directions for your healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just take um, the Green New Deal and we put a new cover page on it? that says the bold goal and we see what happens. Yeah, the, 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 the fundamental mistake that we, we would make in all of this is trying too hard or doing too much work. <laughs> right. We should not. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> oh God. It's well, I, I mean, it is, it is funny B to your point that like, uh, that the, the two narratives about COVID or like sort of, you know, the, the reality on the ground of what is happening with COVID basically has almost nothing to do with the political conversations around it. That, map basically you know perfectly onto uh like 
people's political interests and struggles that like had pre, you know, long predated, uh, uh, COVID like that. They, they just, again, like put a new cover page on right. pretty much everything. Right. And like, you know, and that, that was it. But, but it is true that like, you know, if, if you are kind of like searching for sort of like clarity in a lot of this, it, it does feel like, you know, you, you, the, the, the right place to be is, is sort of like understanding exactly like what, what does happen in the body. And, and also like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about like, you know, like how like all of the all of the indicators, like all of the information that we have, we've like talked about this before is always like two weeks behind. uh, Right. You know, like what is actually currently happening. It it also sort of feels like that's the same for uh, like political consensus, uh consensuses, the political consensus. There it is. That's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, you know, the fact that this information is coming out now is like going to slowly get digested by like people who have power and, and make policy. And like, it, it probably, you know, even though like it should be affecting people's behavior, uh, like immediately, like literally is going to have like a two week lag, not because like it takes time for, you know, diseases to gestate, but like, just because people are fucking stupid, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, or, I mean, I guess it's, you know, don't underestimate the importance of people being uh, boundedly rational, let's say. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to, 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 to quote Herbert Simon, uh, but like. All right. But no, <laughs> but no, uh, I, I think it's also about the way that we've, the kinds of um, expertise and uh, professionalism that we've like privileged in this particular, uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. iteration of, uh, capitalist, uh, society, which is right. that we've, you know, we are not, um, set up well to understand the experiences, um, of people who are doing work. Um, at, at, we're, we're not set up well to translate those experiences into like public epistemology or like knowledge. Like we, we, are designed, we are set up very well to pretend that those experiences don't even exist. And that like somehow magically the the right. delivery food comes to your door. Somehow magically, um, as if by as if by, you know, wonderment, um, doctors do something um at the uh, you know, at the clinical level. Um and this is a, it's a very uncomfortable thing for people to realize that these um the, the sort of like pleasant fictions that that we live with are yeah they're they're not they're not true and maybe we should be listening to the people who actually do this work uh more yeah. and, and privileging right. their their you know um understandings in our society right totally i maybe. mean we talk all the time about like you know wellness as an industry is predatory and harmful and fundamentally like dangerous to our collective survival right and this is a very clear example of of why i mean we can say that like goop is dangerous expensive bullshit all we want but this is a very very good example of why the wellness industry becoming this commodity-based market this billion dollar industry that's partially service partially product based is so dangerous is that we fundamentally have no fucking idea Uh, how our immune systems actually work Mm -hmm. for the most part. People think of their immune system and they think that they know it because they're used to buying products for it and around it, which have nothing to do with how it actually works. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like we think of an immune system almost as like some sort of saran wrap or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you boost the immune system and it protects you and nothing comes in. You know, you get a cold and the cold is what's making you feel like shit, not your immune system responding to the virus making you feel like shit. Totally. Which is what it actually is. Which is what it actually is. (laughs) Well, I think speaking of uh, people being... uh, how did Phil put it? Boundedly rational, uh-huh. uh, thinking within bounded uh, rationality. No, I love that. Uh, no, <laughs> useful, useful term. Um, maybe I think this will just be a quick thing, but I thought it would be nice to uh, wrap out on a extremely horrible uh, example of that exact uh, bounded rationality. Oh my god! Um, which is the worst headline that I've ever seen. I think probably. A Forbes article titled, Has Coronavirus Solved America's ER Overuse Problem? <laughs> Just, ah! wow. Has Coronavirus ah! Solved Emergency Room Overuse? <laughs> Panel, what do you guys think? Has it? Yeah. Definitely. I, I agree. Totally. All that waste, fraud, and abuse, it's over. They're all dead <laughs> Hang now. Hang on, wait a minute. Hang yeah. on. Wait, it's wait, all wait, good. I got to look at the numbers. Hang on one second. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Nope. It has. Uh, it all is... How many people have died um, of COVID in America? Oh, perfect. I yep. don't know, but enough to print a mission accomplished banner. We've figured <laughs> out overuse, folks. Yeah. Oh. I mean, this uh I won't I won't um I won't even bother like really reading from this because essentially this is a this is a article that's like they they essentially take a bunch of um you know healthcare executives, get quotes from them on you know what they what they think about the impact the coronavirus has had on uh emergency room about about the the fact the fundamental fact that a lot of people in the United States go to the emergency room when they don't necessarily when they mm-hmm. medically speaking don't need to and there are a lot of reasons for that uh one is that like often people who don't have insurance and have like and have something like bad happen to them they don't really mm-hmm. have other recourse there's only than one to place go to go to the emergency room mm-hmm. yeah well, exactly so that's you know it's fundamentally a structural problem with the United States and they're saying and and with the the way that we finance healthcare in the u.s as well so the uh but let's let's try to get inside the heads of the uh the health insurance or or the uh the you know the health insurance industry here because they're not just talking about people who don't have insurance they're also talking about people who have it um but overuse the er so this is but again even so this is how uh because of like the weakness of our incentives for like preventative, uh, care, uh, because we put, you know, so much, um, emphasis on, you know, cost sharing and, and, uh, you know, skin in the game, obviously that's (laughs) going to force people to delay needed care until it's actually very extreme where you would mm-hmm. need to have to go to the ER. But here's how Karen Dale, CEO of AmeriHealth yeah, Caritas yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, District of Columbia says, quote, pre-COVID, people use the ER because it was a convenient one-stop shop. COVID-19 <laughs> has shifted their priorities. Beneficiaries are using a different lens to evaluate their risk hierarchy. Now, avoiding <laughs> coronavirus infection is more important than convenience. God. Yeah, that's that's really that's that's the headline quote right there. It's so good. First of all, yeah, the the reference to people uh, as beneficiaries, beneficiaries. Uh, as in like people enrolled in the insurance in like some insurance. Oh, AmeriHealth Caritas uh, is also a managed. It's a um, I think a Medicare managed care plan. If I'm not oh if I'm not God. mistaken. Okay. <laughs> Great, of course. lovely. Um, and then yeah. 
Got to evaluate your risk hierarchy. Nothing more important than evaluating your risk hierarchy, folks. God. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what's going to well, be really, yep. you know what is going to be really funny, though, when, uh, when this is all over and these exact, or not, sorry, when, not when this is all over, when the quarantine is lifted and people are able to go and get elective surgeries again, uh, like these same exact <laughs> people are going to be like, oh my God, the, the, the overuse of, of ERs is insane right now because like yeah. all the people who were literally too afraid to go, you know, to, to the ER for anything other than absolutely life-threatening necessities are are all going to be like going to be there and it's just gonna be Mm -hmm. it's just gonna be fucking hilarious to watch these people be like what are these people thinking yeah i wonder if er uh quote-unquote overuse or the fact that the uh, that er's are often extremely overburdened with patients relative to their both staffing and like material resources um has anything to do with companies like united healthcare which uh own er staffing companies and make sure that they run at as uh profitably and shoestring as possible Mm -hmm. probably doesn't have anything to do with (laughs) yeah Yeah. I don't think it's related. Yeah. Oh man. Totally unrelated. It's a good thing. Anyway. It's a good thing that that's completely unrelated so that it's definitely not going <laughs> to affect anything yeah. later on. Good thing. Good thing. Uh, everything that exists uh, politically, economically, and ethically operates in, in fully distinct silos from each other. <laughs> right gang? We love it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Exactly. Well, folks, I mean, I enjoyed this episode. I hope it wasn't too much of a bummer for you guys, but I always love talking about um, the processes of the body, right? Hey, mm-hmm. Blood clotting. Um, yeah. Sentient oil. Yeah. <laughs> sentient oil, blood clotting. Yeah, uh, we're, uh, we're not making... I am, what if I am sentient oil and I just don't know it? <laughs> See, well, then the I think you're fine. You won't me. get COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Tight. Hey, we don't know if COVID can infect oil yet. <laughs> Right. That may be what brings the oil economy down. <laughs> right. <laughs> True. Maybe, maybe that's, this is finally going to, this is going to fix it all. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll finally have uh, the Green New Deal because all of the oil will die from COVID. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Give it a better host body. Yeah. Maybe it won't like <laughs> us anymore. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, I think that about does it for this episode, right? Right. Yep. Anything else from anyone? Final thoughts? Guttural screams. Uh, anything else? No. Soft whimpers. Yeah. In the night. Long, um. long sighs. Um, uh. Sound of pacing. Anyways, um, thanks again for for hanging out with us, listeners. We appreciate it. If you'd like more Death Panel, then feel free to become a patron. Patreon.com slash Death Panel Pod. You'll get a second episode every week and our eternal gratitude and the satisfaction to know that you're supporting the show. And the one we've got coming up is a banger. A oh, banger. Yeah. Really excited so good. for this one. Yes. Yeah, we've got a really, really fire patron episode coming up. Yeah. Very so excited for you all if to you've hear been, this. Episode. If you've been considering supporting the show, now would be a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways. All right. Uh, as always... Thank you guys so much for sitting down and having these conversations with me. And I hope that I don't make you all miserable. <laughs> um, also, uh, leave us a rating or review yes. on Apple podcasts um, or leave uh, leave the weeds a one star or whatever review um, and mention that 
uh, people should listen to the death panel instead. Yeah, I haven't checked to see <laughs> if anybody's done that Tell yet. Tell them that Bob Evans sent you. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Cool. And um, I think that about does it. Yeah. Right, y'all? All right. Mm-hmm. Take care, All right. Guys. Hang in there. Stay alive another week. See you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye. Oh, cool. Tell a boy this a the blood clot song Boy this sweet, them blood clot wrong Me will take with your blood clot, y'all and Take off a blood clot tongue Jamaica where my blood clot from Me no rule without my gang Boy this, no question Shoulda never this a real bad man Man, 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 man a top shot, a man a real hot stepper Disrespect shot, but like pepper Y'all them know we are the real home wrecker We no take talk, we a make talk Anywhere we go, I be a bad boy walk Black for me hip, split for me lip Tell a boy don't violate and trip You ain't at the gym, your girl, so don't come me the cars Tell a boy this a the blood clot song Boy this sweet, them blood clot wrong Never we take with your blood clot, girl, and Take off a blood clot tongue Jamaica where my blood clot from Been a rule without my gang Boy this, no question Shoulda never this a real bad man Walk like a bad man, talk like a bad man A boy this way you know him is a mad man In I'm PS my pick up one Can't California, Arizona, then love the aroma and no feds can't talk on the phone yeah. New York to Jamaica, we no like no faker Atlanta, we a cookie like a baker Big Matty girl does shake it like a shaker Tell a boy this a the blood clot song Boy this way, them blood clot wrong Me we take for your blood clot girl and Take off a blood clot tongue Jamaica where my blood clot from Been a rule without my gang Boy this, no question should I never this a real bad man? Tell a boy this a the blood clot song. Boy this sweet, them blood clot rock. Show me a cow with my blood clot from Should I never this a real bad man? Bad man, bad man.